0: In this episode, Jack and I discuss the lessons learned from our most widely read five questions interview series on Validia's Guru Investor blog. We then try to relate these lessons, which come from discussions with Corey Hofstein, Jim O'Shaughnessy, Wes Gray, Michael Mobison, and Ben Hunt, to concepts we believe investors can learn from. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, today we're going to use your article that you wrote, Lessons from Our Most Read Five Questions Interview Series. Um, and just to kind of set the stage here, one of the things that we've been doing, um, and you've basically t- taken the lead on this, is we've been interviewing thought leaders and experts in the investment space um, for the Validia blog, and it's the series is called our Five Questions um, interview series, and uh, you, Jack takes the lead on sending out five questions to uh people that you know have really deep expertise and knowledge in certain areas of the market so and we'll get into some of these individuals but people like Wes gray james o'shaughnessy ben hunt michael mobison people in the investing world and also we've even branched out to the academic world and really trying to uncover you know sort of some deep knowledge and wisdom and trying to pull that pull that out of them in this um five questions interview series and so the article you wrote was um, the lessons that you you learned from our five most read questions. And what I thought we could do is we'll talk about each one of the, the lessons. And then what we'll also try to do is we'll try to relate and tie it more um, tactically to what investors can do and learn and take from these. Um, so to get into it, the first uh, point was from an interview that you did with Corey Hofstein. And the overall lesson was be, beware of the risks that you can't see. So do you want to kind of flush that out and explain what you, you meant by
1: that? Sure. There there's so many risks in investing that you take that you have to take in order to achieve the returns you're trying to achieve. And what you want to avoid doing in investing is is taking risks that you don't get compensated for. And and Corey has been has taught me a lot about that there are a lot of risks out there that maybe many investors don't see, but they are taking, and that they are not actually receiving any compensation for taking those risks. And so the, the five questions I asked Corey were all around various risks that occur in investing that many people take, but they don't actually know they're taking them. And, and you know, the primary one we talked about is the one called timing luck. And uh, Corey actually had a paper uh, published in, I think it was the Financial Analyst Journal, or one of the major journals about this. And the concept of timing luck is is the concept that when you rebalance your portfolio can actually have a major impact on your returns. So to use a simple example, if you, if you run a 60 40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And if, if in 2009 you rebalanced your portfolio in March, versus if you rebalance it in September, you had a, huge different, a hugely different experience because the market went down, you know, March was near the bottom. And so if you rebalanced back in March, you bought a bunch of stocks there, you brought up your stock allocation relative to bonds, and you benefited from the huge run in stocks that occurred in 2009. If you rebalanced in September, you didn't do that. You, you did not add to your stocks at the bottom, and, and you did not benefit as much from the ride back up. And, so, and, and that's a risk you don't ever really make back. So if you, whatever investors lost to who, invest, who rebalanced in September aren't going to make that back in future years, most likely. So it's, it's an important risk to understand that it exists. And, and, you know, we can talk a second. You know, Corey uh, has some options he talks about in terms of how you can deal with it. Yeah. So, I mean, why don't
0: you how, how would an investor be able to mitigate some of that timing risk?
1: What would some strategies be? So Corey has some really complicated strategies he uses as a money manager, but the the simple one most investors could use is just don't rebalance your entire portfolio at the same time. So going back to our 60-40 example, if I were to say I'm going to rebalance my portfolio quarterly and I'm going to rebalance 25% of the the portfolio each quarter, well, I'm now mitigating that risk. So I could treat it as if, even though I have one portfolio, I could treat it as four different portfolios, one that rebalances each, you know, during each quarter four times a year. And by doing that, I'm minimizing that risk because going back to our previous example at least a portion of my portfolio would have been rebalanced at the beginning of 2009 and that portion would have benefited from the run in stocks for the rest of the year and so by by spreading out your rebalancing you you can manage that risk but and by the way before we move on to the next point it you know it's
0: true with because some of the stock selection models we run we've run them in a similar way where we may have like four rebalancings throughout the year so if you're using an active stock selection strategy and you rebalance, you know, that strategy may bring you heavy into one industry. If you rebalance the whole strategy, you may go really heavy into energy or really heavy into retailers or really heavy into financials. Whereas if you're just doing like a fourth of the strategy, let's say every three months, you know, you might be able to not have the portfolio too heavily weighted into one specific sector if your models are really finding significant value in that sector.
1: That's a good point. And, you know, one of the things, and we talked on a previous episode about our, our tax system for selling. And one of, the thing, one of the goals with that was to take strategies like value that can do well when they're only rebalanced once a year, but to take that rebal- that once a year rebalancing and sort of to spread it over 12 re- monthly rebalancings throughout the year. So we get the same amount of turnover, but we're able to rebalance 12 different times a year, which, which manages this whole timing look.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. So the fourth, you um, did two pretty comprehensive interviews with O'Shaughnessy and for people that many people watching this know who Jim O'Shaughnessy is. But for those that don't, O'Shaughnessy wrote the book, What Works on Wall Street. He's pretty much a pioneer when it comes to quantitative investing strategies. And yet, you know, throughout the interview, um, many times O'Shaughnessy was able to say he didn't know or he didn't have an answer to that question you were asking him. So I, th- I think, you, t- you know, you valued that a lot. And that was something you wrote about in your article. And so um, I'll let you sort of shake that out a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Like you said, Jim is one of the most accomplished quantitative investors that exists. And, you know, what's what. what I found really interesting about the interview is at various points, he was more than willing to admit he didn't know. And, you know, sometimes I would ask him questions where there just wasn't an answer. And sometimes I would ask him questions where – you know, he would need to research it further or he hadn't researched it personally. So he didn't feel comfortable giving it an answer. And I think that's really important for all of us because what we don't know in investing far exceeds what we do know. And so all of us should be willing to admit that we don't have all the answers. And, you know, when you see the talking heads on CNBC and financial media, they, they want to say they always have the answer. They want to say they know where the market's going this year. Or they want to try to answer other questions like that that don't have an answer. But all of us should be willing to take a step back and say, we don't know more than we do know. And we should be willing to admit that.
0: Yeah, I mean, how many times do you turn on the TV, do you hear someone saying, I don't know? I mean, that's, you know, they're all, you know, trying to really answer things that are almost unanswerable. I mean, and they have to project that um, level of expertise because that's what they're sort of on these, let's say, business channels to do. But you know, in many cases, these are just, there's a 50-50 shot of getting it right or wrong. And I don't know, I, I just think it's a good point that, you know, you very seldomly hear people say, I don't know. And, you know, that's something that investors should be thinking about. If someone comes on and they seem to have all the answers, that probably means they're trying to sell
1: you something and it probably means you shouldn't be listening to them. Yeah. And you can't blame the people for going on CNBC for trying to say they have all the answers because, you know, CNBC is not going to bring people on for its annual market outlook to sit there and say, I have absolutely no idea what the market's going to do this year. But that is the reality. You know, if if you look at the, the market forecasts that are put out there, most people have absolutely no idea. what the market's going to do this year, but it doesn't make for good TV. So it's just important to, I mean, to understand that that type of thing is entertainment and to take it with a grain of salt and and just to understand that certain things are just not knowable. Yep. Okay. The third lesson was um, uh,
0: from an interview you did with Wes Gray. Wes is uh, CEO of Alpha Architect. They're another quantitative investment research firm. We've gotten to know them quite well over the last couple of years. And the point that you took
1: away from that was you uh, get paid to endure pain. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this isn't a lesson I probably have to explain too much for value investors right now because value investors are understanding the type of pain Wes is talking about. I mean, we're in we're in a period now where we we've had a decade of underperformance for value. And and this is true of most quantitative strategies or most active strategies is that if you're going to look different At times, you're going to go through painful periods where you underperform your benchmark. And your ability to sit through those painful periods and stick with your strategy is going to determine whether you're successful with that strategy. And so that was the main lesson from Wes is that the pain of investing in especially focused quantitative strategies can be very extreme at times. And your ability to stick with the strategy through that pain is going to determine your success. And so I think for investors, for those investors that are trying
0: and aiming for market outperformance, understanding that any strategy that has the potential to beat the market over the long term, you know, inevitably will go through periods of underperformance. And you have to be willing to deal with those periods or else you won't be there on the back end when a good strategy hopefully reverts and gives you that excess performance over the market. So I think that's. Kind of the key takeaway here is if you're gonna shoot for that market out performance, you have to be willing to live and deal with that pain. And I think also look historically and say, when have there been other times similar to this? And you know, what is my maximum amount of pain that I can deal with? How much under relative underperformance I can deal with? If you can't answer those questions up front, then you know when these inevitable times come, it's gonna be very difficult to stick with those types of strategies. Would you Yeah agree? you have to
1: be honest with your honest with yourself about if active investing is a game you even want to play. Because you're much better off admitting up front that you can't endure this type of pain than you are abandoning the strategy when it's going through a tough period. You know, for those investors that can't endure the pain, an index fund is a perfectly reasonable investment, and it's, it's the best investment for those types of people. It's a minority of people that can endure this type of pain in search of excess returns, and, and those are the types of people that should follow act, active strategies. But the important thing is to identify yourself where you fall on that spectrum up front rather than figuring it out when you're in one of those drawdowns.
0: Okay. The next point was from Michael Mobison. Um, Mobison's obviously a thought leader when it comes to a lot of different things on investing, the difference between luck and skill, um, base rates, reversion to the mean. Um, He's written a couple of books on um, investing, and he's
1: just a super knowledgeable, thoughtful guy. Your interview with him was really good. Yeah, you know, I think Michael is one of the smartest people in the investment world. And so I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. And I wanted to ask him the hardest questions I could possibly come up with. I asked him about the active to passive debate. I asked him asked him whether passive uh, buying is impacting stock prices. I asked him about the total alpha that's available in the market and how that impacts falling fees. Um, I asked him about the differences between expectations and reality investing and whether that gap is narrowing, making it harder for active investors. So I asked him the most difficult questions I could come up with. And, you know, he he didn't have answers for all of it because there aren't answers for all of it. But what struck me is the framework, the process he went through to analyze the situation, to look at the pros and cons of each thing, and to provide a thoughtful response. And, you know, that can be difficult. We all tend to follow people who agree with us, and we tend to get, you know, trapped on one side or the other of an issue. But Michael gave a really great down-the-middle take, on a lot of really difficult issues. And I think that what I learned most from his interview was his thought process and how important that is to making good decisions in investing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. There's a lot
0: of, you might feel one way or another way about investing. You may be a value investor. You may believe in trend following. You may, you know, not believe in quantitative strategies at all and think that the only way to be a value investor is to do you know, discounted cash flow and figuring out if a company is trading, you know, at or below its intrinsic value. But the point is, is there's a lot of gray area in all of this. And I think Mobison's interview really, you know, you could follow his thought process and he ultimately would kind of end up somewhere, but it, you know, it wasn't a sure thing. And like you're saying, he had, you know, uh, analytical and systematic and thoughtful, intelligent process that went into those answers. So that's definitely an interview that we hope people sort of take a
1: look at. Yeah, and if you if you take a take the active passive debate for, as an example, so there's a lot of debate about whether all this passive buying that's going on, all these people moving to passive funds, are impacting stock prices or not. And you know you have people on one side who say absolutely they are definitely, and people who on the other side who say they definitely are not impacting stock prices. But the reality is probably somewhere in between, and and that's what Michael got at at the interview. He he said you know I really don't know, but here's how I would go about looking at that, and here's what the data tells me. But it. So, the, I think one of the major lessons is don't get trapped on this side or on that side. You know, understand that investing, a lot of the, the true answer exists in the gray area in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the last lesson was from an interview you did with Ben Hunt from
0: Epsilon Theory. Um, some people might read Ben Hunt and his articles about narratives in the market and um, a bunch of other interesting um, concepts, but the lesson that you took away was, you know, sometimes that some says sometimes this time is different. They say like in the markets, anytime you hear the word, those four words, this time is different. You know, it's a sign that it's not different this time, but I think you had, you know, a different perspective on it
1: after talking to Ben um, about some of his beliefs and his concepts. Yeah, you know, they say this time is different can be the most dangerous words in investing, but this time is never dis- different can also be dangerous because sometimes the past does not repeat itself. Sometimes mean reversion doesn't work the way we think it's going to work. Sometimes there'll be events in investing, which will sort of be a clean break between the past and the future. And that's one of the things I've learned the most from Ben's writing is, you know, Ben Ben talks a lot about the Fed policy that's changed since the financial crisis and quantitative easing and how that might be one of those points where where things broke and where we can't rely on our base rates or our historical success rates to say, well, here's what's happened in the past. So it's going to happen again in the future. You know, if that is a breaking point, then we have to take that past data with a grain of salt and we have to understand it's not going to be as predictive as it was in the future. And so I think it's important to understand that this time is not always Different, or this this time is not always the same. Sometimes this time actually is different. Right. And and this could be one of those cases. It might not be, but it's important to at least keep in the back of your mind that it could be different this time. And, and this Fed policy change could be a significant headwind to something like value investing. And it's just important to keep that in mind, I think, for, for investors.
0: Yep, okay, that's great. So to sum up, um, Corey Hofstein, beware of risks you can't see from Jim O'Shaughnessy. I say, I don't know. Wes Gray, you get paid to endure pain. Michael Mobbsen, your thought process is essential, and Ben Hunt, sometimes this time is different. So those are sort of five key lessons that we hope um, uh, you can learn from. And we hope that, you know, if you're interested in any of those, you can go and obviously read the full interview that Jack did with um, each of these individuals. Just in uh, before we close out, you know, is there anyone good and really excited that you're excited for coming up on the interview series that you want to share?
1: Yeah, we have some great ones coming up. Yeah, we have Patrick O'Shaughnessy on direct indexing. We have Bill Miller talking about his career managing mutual funds. Uh, we have a bunch of other ones, good good ones coming up.
0: Great. All right. Well, listen. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you found this conversation valuable. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant follow me on twitter at at jj carboneau if you found this discussion interesting and valuable please subscribe in either itunes or on youtube or leave a review or a comment we appreciate it